0: Do you know a person, or maybe you are a person, who moved from one area to another in this country? Um, When you first get there, get to a new location, you notice their speech patterns, idioms, expressions. They seem so foreign to you. Or the accent. Oh, the accent. Sometimes you can't understand what the people are saying or what they mean. But then after a while you start to incorporate some of their local idioms and expressions into your language. You may not notice it, but when you go back home to visit, your family and your friends pick up on it right away. I've heard this in my kids. My eldest daughter uh, got married and lives in Dutchess County, New York, and after about a year being out there, she picked up the New York accent. Ah! Oh, ah! Oh. Fortunately, she's still a Red Sox and Patriots fan. She's not a total sellout yet. But the reason this happens is you become like those around you. You adapt, and you conform. We're not static creatures. We're easily influenced. We can't help but become like that which we're exposed to. The change is not always intentional. It just happens, slowly, without you even noticing. Sort of like a frog in a kettle. They say if you put a frog in a kettle of hot water, it'll jump right out but you put a frog in a kettle of cold water and turn the heat on, as the water changes temperature, the frog will change its temperature, and it'll cook. It doesn't know it's being changed. When the nation of Israel felt that Moses was gone too long meeting with God, they asked Aaron to make them an idol to worship. So he gathered from the people gold and forged a golden calf. When Moses returned from speaking with God, Aaron's response is, I told him to give me their gold and I threw it in the fire. Out oh, came this golden calf. <laughs> I don't know if he really bought that, if Moses really bought that, but, he couldn't, but Aaron couldn't really admit to creating an idol with his own hands. Idols can't create themselves, they must be created. Idols have no innate power or energy. Again, we read in 1 Kings 12 about Rehoboam. Actually, Jeroboam. The way I remember that when the kingdom split, Rehoboam remained and Jeroboam journeyed. Jeroboam created two golden calves for fear that his his people in the northern kingdom would would return to Judah and Jerusalem to worship. So he built these two golden calves and said, these are the gods who delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. Again, Jeroboam was was afraid he'd lose his power So he created false gods and had his people worship them. We tend to wonder how can people be so gullible. But G.K. Chesterton once said, when man choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. And Blaise Pascal said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. But we put all sorts of junk into that vacuum, thinking that will fill the void. We're impatient people. We don't like waiting. We want immediate pleasure. That explains why when we were younger, almost all of us have burned the roofs of our mouths with a hot pizza <laughs> or experienced a brain freeze eating ice cream too fast. Well, some of us never outgrow that ice cream part. But let's take a look at what the psalmist says about idols. In verses 15 through 18, he writes, the idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. There is neither any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. We become like that which we worship. The psalmist talks about those that make physical, tangible idols. The idols are made by man. They're made of valuable, precious metals. But they are still inanimate. They have ears and have mouths, but they're just for show. The idols cannot speak. They do not see. They do not hear you. There's no breath in them. The idea of breath indicates life. There is no life in an idol. They are dead. They can do nothing for mankind As we see through scripture, each nation has their own idols. Each idol allegedly looked after the group that made them. Today, we in the West are more sophisticated than the people of the ancient world. Most people today know that no statue or carved figure can do anything for them. But there are areas in the world where idols are outwardly worshipped. In India, where the prevailing religion is Hinduism, they say there's over 300 million idols. The U.S. population is a little over 300 million. That'd be like an idol for each person. The reason they have that many idols is the idols for each circumstance that arises. Well, this idol doesn't take care of that. We'll have to make another one. Now, we don't manufacture idols in the West, as I said, but we in the West have our own idols. We tend to take things that are good and turn them into idols. We probably aren't aware of our idols personally, but here's just a few of them. Family, patriotism, work, education, philosophy, politics, service to others. Hobbies, music, sports, moralism. All of these things are good in and of themselves. They're harmless, much like the statues of gold and silver. But when you put your emphasis on anything other than God himself, these areas become an idol to you. I know that there are few things on that list that I'm guilty of worshiping. For the longest time here's some confession I focused on apologetics. I knew that I was saved by faith but I wanted to show to others that my faith was not some pie in the sky mumbo jumbo but it had an intellectual backing behind it. But one day one of my daughters was either in college or just graduated college said to me that she learned all the apologetics growing up. Sorry. But she never learned about the faith and how to have a relationship with God. That was really convicting. I knew God, but I stressed knowing about God more than knowing God. I realize the apologetics had become an idol to me. The problem with putting anything ahead of worshiping and glorifying God is that it will always have negative effects. As we see how the psalmist describes the idols, they have eyes and a mouth and ears. They're made to look like they are alive, but they have no life in them. So let's compare the inanimate objects to God. Yahweh, the I Am. The psalmist points out that the idols have no breath in their mouths. Contrast this with God in Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Idol has no breath, God has breath, and he breathed into us. He filled us. The idols created by man, whether physical or ideological, are lifeless. They can do nothing for us. Our idols do not give us life. We give them life. And our life is not self-generated. Our life is given by God himself, and God has breathed that life into us. He has given us our ability to think and reason, to love and to laugh. We need to turn and worship the one true life giver. Our idols temporarily ease whatever lostness or pain that we are looking to escape. God has given us life, he alone has numbered our days. We should turn to him and honor him in all things. When we're hurt and lonely, lost and stumbling with no sense of direction, he will breathe life into us. He has created us for a purpose, and he will fulfill that purpose as we submit and worship him. The psalmist points out, the the idols have eyes, but cannot see, and ears, but cannot hear. Contrast that with, with God. In Job thirty four twenty one, for his eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps or Psalm fourteen two. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And again in Jeremiah twenty three, twenty four, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth declares the Lord? The God who created us sees us, sees what is going on. Jesus himself said, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who is in secret will will reward you. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that you have re- they have received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will see you and reward you. God sees us at all times. If he sees us when we pray in secret, don't you think he sees us when we uh, sin in secret as well? That is a scary thought. God also hears In Exodus twenty two, twenty-one, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or father or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they cry to me, I will surely hear their cry. In the Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal the land. God told Solomon that if Israel will turn from their sin, he will heal heal the land. He will end the droughts and the famines. Our idols see and hear nothing. They do not feed us spiritually or encourage us. They are a drain. Take, take, they take our energy from us, much like a flashlight draws the energy from a battery. God warned Adam in Genesis 2.17, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will surely die. When Adam, Adam, when Adam ate of the fruit, mankind spiritually died, and what we became, in that we became separated from God. Yes, we continue to breathe and show, lives, uh, show symptoms of life. A physical life, but we're spiritually dead. Paul tells us, tells us that we're dead in our sins. Just as in the physical world, the inanimate cannot regenerate life, neither can the spiritually dead give life to themselves, let alone to others. So when we make our idols, we cannot give them life. We, cannot, we can attribute lifelike qualities to them, but no matter how hard we try, we cannot breathe spiritual life into them. They are dead, not mostly dead, or almost dead, they're dead. Where God, on the other hand, is just the opposite. Those who worship idols become like them, but those who worship God will be transformed by Him. When God justifies us, He changes us in an instant. Paul writes in Second Chronicles 5 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. We are no longer objects of God's wrath or enemies of his. As Paul describes us. but we are new. That doesn't mean we're totally perfected. As Martin Luther used the phrase, simul justus et peccator, that's Latin for, in a cool way to say, we're simultaneously righteous and yet a sinner. Once we're justified, God begins his process of changing us. Again, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's written, and we all and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of their lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is a spirit this process is a process of sanctification and sanctification leads to glorification even though god is transforming us we are not yet perfected that's why we keep reverting back to our old ways Paul warns about this in Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Mark 8, 14 through 21, Jesus rebuked his disciples, and I think that they understood this rebuke in light of Psalm 135. Now, they they'd forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Imagine Jesus calling you out as an idol worshiper. They had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, and yet they were worried about bread. They let the cares of this world rule their thoughts instead of allowing Jesus to transform their mindset into heavenly things. To be honest, none of us are any different than them. We've all seen God provide for us in miraculous ways, if not for us, but someone we know. Yet we forget We forget his mighty works of the past and focus on our needs and in the present. We allow ourselves to be conformed to the fears of this world. We as believers have a choice of whether to be conformed to this world or to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Two weeks ago, I got to hold my granddaughter when she was just a week old. For a moment, I thought there was a problem with her eyes. She didn't seem to be able to focus on things when she woke up. Her eyes were wandering. But then I remembered that she was only a week old. And I myself am not really focused when I first wake up. We are a lot like that with spiritual things. But that's okay, because Paul, again, writes in Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, and even as I have been fully known. We have spiritual eyes now. We will see things... But we're still looking through a a dim mirror. But as we mature, our vision improves. God increases our vision. We will see heavenly things. We will see things more clearly. As I look at my own spiritual journey of the last almost 60 years, I see the changes God has brought in my life, usually with me kicking and screaming. But God will transform us into what he wants us to be for his glory. We can only see things when our hearts are softened and open to God's handiwork around us. The same thing is true with the truth of our ability to hear. Jesus twice warned, let him who has ears hear. We can only understand that as being, what's being said is that when God opens our hears, ears, we will hear. This phrase also appears five times in Revelation. I'm sure that there are many wives and mothers who have probably said this thing to their husbands and children quite often. You have ears, why can't you hear? Not my wife. But um, there's only one thing to hear, something, it is a whole nother level to pay attention and to understand. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, helping you to hear things that you've never heard before. Our faith increasing it as well through hearing. Paul writes in Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and the hearing of the word of Christ. We need to continually be listening to sound teaching to keep us on track and to keep us worshiping the right God, the one true God. So how do we do this? As I said, we don't have images of gold and silver to worship. We don't set up shrines in our houses for our heroes. I hope we don't. But we each have things in our lives that distract us from God. I challenge you to see what it is that you're putting in your life ahead of God. Some of those things that we prioritize are admirable things, but we need to put everything second to our love and our service to God. What is it that you trust more than you trust God? What is it that you desire more than God? If Satan tempted Eve in the garden, she saw that the, the fruit was good for food and a delight to the eyes. What draws us away from God seems to us good and delightful. There are things that we find pleasure in. That's fine. But when we put our more emphasis and energy on those things than on God, that is where our idolatry comes in. These are tough questions. God wants our whole heart. When Jesus told the rich young ruler to go and sell all that he had and give it to the poor, the young man couldn't do it because it was difficult. It won't be easy to give up your idols, but Paul encourages us. Hear what he said in Philippians, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. As you begin to loosen your grip on that which you cling to, it will be easier and easier to let go. Philippians 3.21, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like God his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform us. This same Lord and Savior will help transform you into the son of God that he wants you to be. Romans 8:29 for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul is encouraging us that God is conforming us to the image of his son. We will not be mini-Christs. We cannot redeem mankind, but we can become holy and separate. We're not dependent on our own efforts to change. Thanks be to God. we we, we, We cannot will our changes to happen. We will be changed by what we worship. If we worship idols of any kind, we'll become as deaf, blind, and lifeless as our idols are. Or if we worship God, who breathes life into man, we will be transformed and conformed into the image of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, not by our own efforts, but by the working of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within each of us that profess Jesus as Lord. So, uh, practical application, we're about a week into Lent. A week into Lent, and a lot of Christian traditions, people give something up for Lent. I don't know if it's something you, you uh, do yourself or not, but I challenge you, to think of it, what is it you're, you're holding on to right now? It may be a good thing, but is it, are you prioritizing it too much? Set that aside for the next four or five weeks. Put it away. You'd be surprised what happens when you come back to it. When I went to went basic training, I had just made the weight limit to make it, if I was pound heavy, I wouldn't have made it in. During the eight and nine weeks of basic training, I lost 40 pounds. I didn't have a candy bar, a cookie, a piece of pie, a piece of cake, no refined sugar for eight weeks. But I got on the bus from Fort Lando, Missouri to St. Louis. We stopped at a rest stop. I got a candy bar. I earned this. I deserve it. i bit been into it, and that was the most heinous tasting thing I've ever had in my life. My body had detoxed from all that sugar, but don't worry. I readapted, unfortunately. But I think if you put that thing away that you're, you're, you're clinging to, put it away for a short time. When you come back to it, it may not have the same hold on you. You may be able to use it more for God's glory. It's a good thing. But use it in submission to God so we can glorify God in all your ways. So let us search our hearts and see what we've elevated to a position of authority in our lives. What is drawing our attention away from God, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who breathes new life into us and renews us to to an everlasting life? Let us pray. Father God, forgive us for going after shiny objects, things that have no real value or or concern for us. Forgive us for turning our hearts from you The hearts of flesh that you created in us. Help us to put everything in submission to you. Even the things that seem godly, let us make sure we are using them to grow in our relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you loved us. You withheld nothing from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.